Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. Thank you guys all so very, very much for coming. Um, As Matt mentioned, today is a special day. It is the Lord's Day, of course, and it is football day as well. And if you're a Patriots, Buccaneers, or Cardinals fan, eight months until the draft. That's how we see that, so very, very good. Um, You know that when I get up and speak to you guys, I never come at you in any kind of a way that maybe preaching at you or, or throwing scripture right and left. It's not to hit you over the head with something, it's to remind. That's what I like to do. I like to remind. I need reminders all the time. Um, I've been reading a lot of books lately and little things that come up in these books, and I'm just like, oh, yeah, that's right. I should be doing that. Um, when you're re- reading through the scripture, especially uh, going through Solomon like we have been with Matt and his series, and you hit something like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I got to make more of that in my life. I got to do more of that. So I want to do a little bit of a reminder today. Um, I have some notes for you guys here to follow along with. Um, when we get to the points, I'll kind of let you guys fill in and, and uh, write what we're going to write in those notes um, to keep along. But these are also reminders, too, of what the lesson are today. Um, there are little tidbits that we can take home and just say, hey, let's just keep these in the back of our mind going forward for the weeks to come and the months to come for that. I brought a prop to show you guys. It's a big, exciting, huge, wonderful prop. You guys ready? Here it is. <laughs> it's right here. It's a pebble. A single pebble. Now, I stole this out of Matt's front yard, so i got to return it (laughs) for it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. So it's a pebble. Um, We're going to use this as an illustration today, and and I need everybody to understand what a pebble is. A pebble is a piece of rock. It's actually a piece of sediment. It comes from big, gigantic boulders on top of a mountain that over time, wind and rain and other natural things kind of shape it down until it gets smaller and gets smaller and gets smaller and it becomes a tiny little pebble, just like this. It's pretty much insignificant. If you saw it on the street, you wouldn't even take a second glance at it. You wouldn't take the time to step over it. You might kick it out of the way. If you're sweeping your sidewalk, it gets thrown into the gutter and you never think about it again. It's in its most important form insignificant in the grand scheme of things. So I want to take just a second to talk about insignificance and how we can sometimes feel that in our walk with God and our walk in society. So I got some numbers for you guys. I'm going to give you these numbers to fill into your notes here. Please, you do not have to write all the zeros, put the word, unless you're feeling ambitious today. The first one is our world population. Right now, as of yesterday, I tried to get the most current one. We are at 7.88 billion people with a B. 7.88 billion people. Now that's a lot. (laughs) That's that's almost an incomprehensible number, how much that is, 7.88 billion. So I thought, well, let's shrink it down just a little bit. How about just people in America? So we are at 331.9 million people in America right now. 331.9 million people. Again, mind-blowing number. That's a massive amount of people. So I thought, let's shrink it down again for that. People in Arizona alone. All right, people just in Arizona. 7.27 million people as of yesterday. That's how many people we have in our state right now. 7.27 million people. Again, an insanely large number. So then I thought, let's just get it down to Phoenix where we're at. Because now maybe we can feel a little bit more significant when the numbers start shrinking down to that. And you guys ready? 1.62 million people in Phoenix. And I thought, man, how, how can I shrink this down anymore? Maybe just the people in Matt's neighborhood here? <laughs> maybe the people here today, you know, 30 people. Still a large number, 30 people in this. But when you think of it in the terms of 7.8 billion people, it's easy to feel like this. It's easy to just kind of feel like a rock. I mean, how can a single person make an impact against this? Even 1.6.2 million people here in Phoenix. I mean, you might be thinking, how can a person make an impact 
in a massive amount of people that size. How can a person make an impact in just their own neighborhood when there's so many things going around them, so many things going on? We see ourselves in the grand scheme of things as insignificant. And I want to use a term today, and I want to call that pebble thinking. It's pebble thinking. This is how I am seeing myself. Um, I was very, very fortunate, I've mentioned this before, but very fortunate um, in my, my early 20s, I was 24 when I went over to get to spend um, some time living in Australia. And I am very lucky that I had a roommate that came from some money <laughs> and we were able to get an apartment that was on the 17th floor on the beach in Surfer's Paradise, Australia. So yeah, it, it, God's blessing to me for sure and thankful that I had that resource because it would have been done by my own hands for sure. Um, but I woke up every morning and stood out in front of this gigantic window and overlooked the ocean and it was beautiful. We got to see a storm come in one night. When you're on the 17th floor, you can feel the, the building shake. We saw, got to see it come almost at eye level off the ocean at us and it is the most scary and beautiful and awe-inspiring thing. But my last night that I was in Australia when I knew I was coming back to the desert of Arizona, I walked out onto the beach about 2 a.m. in the morning and there's nobody out there, completely dark, single soul, and I stood on the shore of the ocean and I just looked. And two things happened to me in that moment. One, I realized the awesomeness of God. The ocean expanded from side to side. You could not see anything. The stars were so amazing in the sky that it was in God's presence. And then the second thing happened. I felt like the most insignificant person on the face of the earth. <laughs> in all of this, I am just a dot. I am just a pebble. And for a 25-year-old trying to understand all the existentialism that comes along with life and what it means, I started to panic. I'm going back to Arizona. I don't know what I'm going to do. Am I going to make something of myself? Am I going to matter tomorrow? Does he care? And I, and I went through this whole process in my mind, and I started going into pebble thinking. I started thinking, how am I going to possibly have an impact once I get over there? I, you know, I know what I need to do. I need to get a good job. I need to make millions of dollars, and I can hand it out to people, and I can be something good, you know, something big, something powerful. And I wanted bolder thinking while seeing myself as a pebble in all of this. So we have the tendency as human beings to look at the big picture in all things. While the idea of seeing the big picture can be a good idea, zooming our lens in and out to see the things that are going on in our life, we sometimes need to change the lens to see the impact we can have on ourselves and others. There was a black rights champion during the time of Abraham Lincoln. He actually spoke at the Gettysburg Address. His name was Edward Everett Hale. He was actually, uh, I think it was a great nephew or nephew of Nathan Hale who was in the Revolutionary War. He was a big war hero at the time. But the reason why I put a black rights champion is because there was a difference. There was a difference between emancipation and black, black rights at the time. A lot of people were abolitionists back then, and they said, yeah, man, we should not have people in slavery. This is a horrible idea. Let's get rid of it. But they still, in their twisted thinking, a lot of it conditioned on how they were raised and how they grew up to think that people were still lesser than them. We'll give them their freedom, but we still have superiority. Not Everett Hale. He was just the opposite. He said, not only let's give them their freedom, but let's educate them the same as we're educated because they still have the same capacity as us. And so that makes this statement that he's about to say even more impactful. Think of this as a quote for him. I'm only one person, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And I will not let what I cannot do interfere with what I can do. Now, he could have seen himself as a pebble at the time because most of the thinking wasn't the same as his. Yeah, we'll let people go free, but he was saying, no, let's not let them go free, let's just educate them as well. Freedom, education, property, a chance at a good life, just like we all have. In the midst of this whole pond, he was a pebble, a different thinker for everybody else. And though he couldn't do everything to make it happen, he could at least do one thing. And he wasn't going to let all that other ripple in the water affect what he could do himself. So he carried that with him. That is the thinking that we must have in our lives. As Christians, we can fall into this trap, and it is a trap, of feeling insignificant when we read about the great characters in the Bible. I don't know if you guys have ever felt that way, but I sure have. <laughs> when we read these people in the Bible, man, I am never going to be as pious as Paul. <laughs> I will try, and I will work my best. But this guy devoted every waking second of his life to serving his Lord. I don't know if I can achieve that level for it. 
Or maybe uh, I can never be as disciplined as Daniel. Let me tell you, <laughs> I've tried. <laughs> I have tried, especially when it comes to things like dieting and eating and the, the Daniel fast and things like that. I'm like, man, this guy had a level of strength that I may never know in my life for that. Or I don't know if I can have the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I sure will try. I will work on myself to the day I die to have that faith. But man, when you're faced with those flames, can you 100% say that I will do what they do? I hope you can. If you can, fantastic. We're working our way there and, and, and would love to say that for any one of you, I absolutely would do that. But for myself, when I do that, for my own self-preservation, maybe I'd just say, throw me in there. Throw me in the fire. And I can't establish a church like Peter did. Now, I can help a church, and I can help grow a church, but I, to set up the cornerstone to be the church that is the example to all the other churches there, that is a huge undertaking. Can I be as selfless as Ruth? Can I be as selfless as Deborah? Man, these names are huge. They're in the world of faith and serving God. They're, to, for lack of a better term, they are the superstars for all that, the people that we look to to inspire us. We compare ourselves to those in Hebrews 11, and we fall severely short, and we question what impact can I have on others if I'm not like these. And again, this is pebble thinking. So God is amazing in his providence, and he already knows how we feel and how we compare ourselves. There's no doubt about that. He knows how your heart is right now. He knows how your struggle is right now. He knows how you compare yourself to others. It's humanistic thinking, but... He allows for those big, bold stories of men and women overcoming insurmountable odds to serve and propagate Christianity across the world. He wants us to read those. Those should be examples that we strive for, to be more like Jesus, just like them. But he also peppers the scripture with people who worked behind the scenes to promote his will. Now, you are not going to read about these people in Hebrews 11. <laughs> They'll be nowhere there. You're not going to see people wearing their names across their shirts <laughs> with a verse on it like you might see during the football games with John 3.16 today. <laughs> but nevertheless, these were people that others would consider a pebble that made a giant impact on the lives with others by doing what they could do. And so we're going to start with the first one here, uh, Naaman's wife's servant. I had to come up with titles for these people because most of them didn't have names. So Naaman's wife's servant. It's kind of like when you're talking to somebody, you're like, yeah, that's my best friend's brother's friend's fiance's cousin. Well, this is Naaman's wife's servant <laughs> that is going to be part of the story. So Naaman was a, a commander in the Aram army. In fact, it's a strong army. It was a powerful army. It was a ruthless army. And Naaman was the commander, one of the commanders in it, and he was well known for his ability. He was a great man, the scripture says, in the army. He was strong. He was powerful. But he had one issue. He had leprosy. And if you guys know, in the Bible, as you read leprosy, it's a death sentence. Not only is it a, something that ravages your body and just tears it down to a disgusting, flaky mess, but it also creates you as a pariah in society. Stay away from me. <laughs> Don't get close to me. And this guy was a leader of an army dealing with this, so this was a big deal. So uh, some of the Aram army had raided Israel, and they captured this young girl who became a servant to Naaman's wife, and that's who we're talking about as a servant. And when she learned of uh, Naaman's leprosy, she approached Naaman's wife. And in verse 3, she said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. That's it. <laughs> that is it for Naaman's wife's servant. That was her splash, her impact, her pebble on society. So let's see what that pebble did. So Naaman, I think it said Nathan here, a typo here. Naaman gets the favor of the king of Aram to go see the prophet Elisha, who commands him to sip, dip seven times in the Jordan River. Now, Naaman doesn't like this because he's like, hey, if you're a prophet of God, just say, God, take it away, and it should go away, right? He's kind of like, upset. Like, I have to go dip in the water seven times? That doesn't even make sense. But then the people around him are like, Naaman, uh, this is somebody from God. You probably should listen to him if they're telling you to do it. So Naaman says, okay. Dip seven times in the Jordan, miraculously, the leprosy is gone. And Naaman goes to Elisha and says, I can't believe this just happened. You truly are of the one true God. The God of Israel is the one true God. And Naaman does this uh, extraordinary thing. He tries to pay Elisha for what he did. Elisha says, no, I don't, I don't want any of that. Don't give that to me. I'm just here trying to serve my God. 
And Naaman says, okay, but can you do me a favor? He said, can you give me two donkeys? And can I fill a bag with a bunch of this dirt from this land right here and take it with me back? And Elisha says, sure. Doesn't even hesitate. Absolutely. And then Naaman tells Elisha, from now on, I'm not going to serve those other gods. I will sacrifice to no other god but the God of Israel. And we read over that verse when we read it, and we think, oh, what's the impact of that? Bags of dirt? Because back then, if somebody found something they considered the holy land, the chosen land, it was sacred. They would put it around their households. They would keep it in satchels to take with them. It was blessed dirt. So what Naaman wanted to do was take some of God's holy land back to his paganistic captain. And historians think it could have been spread around his house or he might have kept it in certain areas to remind him of who the one true God is. None of that happens without the pebble. Had she not stepped up and said, hey, there's somebody who's got some special things going on. Maybe he should go see him and he might get healed. That pebble set a ripple in motion that saved a man's mind from offering himself to paganistic idols to where not only does he turn himself to God, but wants to take some of the Holy Land with him so that he can serve him, praise him, and sacrifice to him only. A pebble. Naaman's wife's servant, and this is the next note in your lines here, Naaman's wife's servant used her voice. Seemingly insignificant, but caused a massive ripple in the life of a great man. She used her voice for that. She spoke up. It would have been very, very easy for the servant to just not do anything. Hey, you guys captured me. I'm a slave to you now, a servant to you now. I don't care if you have lips or seeds. Good. Bring it on. Hope it's twice as much tomorrow. But she didn't. She spoke up. God worked through her pebble and she made an impact. We may not have much to give, but we have words. And those words can have a massive impact on the people. I'm gonna tell you a couple short stories today, and, and these are true stories, and I really want us to take them in because I think they illustrate a beautiful point on how our pebble can become a boulder. There was a woman in New York. She lived in a, a very expensive, high-fluting, high-rise tower, and she would come and go every day, and the desk security guard there would always greet her with a, hi, how you doing, how you doing? One night, she came in, and she was very disheveled. Her hair was wet. He could tell it had been raining. It was late at night. She looked off. Her makeup was running all over her face. She came in, and she walked straight past the desk, and the security guard said, hi, how are you doing? He said, that's a beautiful dress. Glad to see you. And she just walked. And so he didn't think of anything of it. Maybe she's dealing with her own things. And he went back to his work at the desk. A few minutes later, she came back to the desk and she sobbed. She stood in front of him. She pulled out her purse and she dumped it inside two boxes of razor blades and sleeping pills. She said, I have had the worst two months of my life and tonight it was gonna end. Nobody said a word to me today Nobody looked at me on the street. Nobody even cared until you just now talked to me. And of course, the security guard was thrown back from this and just amazed and just, uh, I'm, I'm glad, but I'm so glad you didn't do it. You know, we care about you. But she, he saved her life that day. Now, sometimes when I'm sitting up front at my desk and people are walking in and out, I try hard to say hi to everybody, but if I miss them, I miss them, <laughs> you know? Hey, how's it going? Good. You know, and they go on our way. But the power of words, that little pebble he threw, saved a life that night. Looking for the opportunity to use what we have, even as just words, can help other people. It can save other people. And that's what Naaman's wife's servant did. And she helped change the course of history for a person. We're getting into your next part of your notes here. Our words can change lives for good. They can literally be the difference between life and death. And there are several ways that we can use our words. Number one, just like her, our voice. Speaking up and speaking out. I don't have a lot of resources. I don't have a lot of money, you may say. I may not have um, 
the ability to uh, preach to crowds or, or teach tons of people, but do you have the voice to stand up when you see something and help someone? Hey, I'm just checking on you. I missed you the last three Sundays. Hey, I, I hear somebody saying something about you. Okay, and I'm not talking about a gossip way. I'm saying in your head, somebody is saying something about them. I'm going to step up and say something. I'm going to lend my voice to the voiceless. In the grand scheme of 7.68 billion people, it's a pebble. But it starts causing that ripple that turns into a boulder. The next one in your notes, our writing. Our writing can be our voice. Maybe you can't speak well. Maybe you don't want to talk to somebody. Maybe you are, are uh, nervous or scared or, or just feel like you can't do it. You can always write. Now, back in the day, we used to have to do the snail, snail mail where you, you know, wrote it, stuck it in an envelope, put it in a stamp, and really crossed your fingers that it was going to make it to that person in the next two to three weeks. And if you're lucky, we'd get one back in the same amount of time. Now, every one of us has a device that we can send a text to somebody. How you doing? How did your day go? Don't wait for the terrible opportunity that's coming where you see the person struggling to write that text and say, man, I'm so sorry, I'm going to pray for you. Yes, do that when it's requested, but do it beforehand. That's using your pebble. Hey, just thinking about you today. Love you. Hope you're having a great day. Because what that does is opens up the door for the person to respond back, hey, I needed that. I'm struggling so much right now. Thank you. I know it's happened to me personally and it's happened to others that I've used it with. But just that little bit of care, that little pebble could really change a person's life. And that goes into number three, our social media. Everybody's got it. Everybody's got it in some way, shape, or form. Now, I love cat videos. I love recipes. <laughs> I love checking the sports on them. I love all those things, but there's actually some good that can be done with social media. I got a new outfit, selfie, selfie, selfie. Like this is social media to its extent. But instead, we can start posting things, uplifting things, happy things. Hey, I just saw a woman in the store help pay for somebody's groceries. Put that in there. I just saw somebody help somebody across the street. Made my day better. Put that in there. Start taking the negatives that we see and put the positive in. Guys, if we get one more of those, if you love Jesus, tell seven people or else the devil will come <laughs> on, our on our pages. <sighs> Use it what it could be used for to its fullest ability. Change people's lives with your voice, with your writing, with your words. All right. Now, I'm sure you guys all have a Bezalel Exodus 31, 1 through 6 t-shirt somewhere in your closet. <laughs> That's our next person. Some of these people, you're going to say, who? Who is this? Bezalel was an artist. He was a craftsman. He was good at what he did. And God is going to command Moses to build an ark and a tabernacle. And he's not just going to leave it up to Moses. Hey, just draw out a cool design, whatever you want to do. Stamp my name on it. No, God had plans. This is how it's going to look. This is how it's going to function. And I want specific people to do it. So God commands Moses to build the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle, but finds men who possess the talent to carry out the task. Verse 31, the Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Basilel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed him with Oholiab, the son of Hasimach, the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability that they make all that I have commanded you. I love this. When I was reading through these characters and I got here to Bezalel, I was like, this guy's an artist. That's his talent. We always think that talent is scripture, it's prayer, it's worship, it's, it's, it's getting people where their hearts are and passing on to God. But, but artistry as a worship to God, this is amazing. Bezalel had this. And not only is he mentioned here, he's mentioned throughout the next few scriptures 
excuse me, the next few chapters, as he does his work, it's very meticulous. He makes sure that everything is perfect, measured out right. He talks about how he makes the curtains. He talks about the size and shapes thing. Bezalel has craftsmanship in his heart, but he found a way to use it to serve God. And what does God do? He increases his ability in the process. He gives him all this knowledge, this wisdom. Maybe I shouldn't make it that way because that's not a sound, so I'll make it this way, given by God. Now, when you talk about people who affect the work of the church, do you ever throw artists in there? <laughs> you ever throw craftsmen in there? If you shake your head yes, great, because that is important. That's an important part. We got preachers. We got worship leaders. We got elders. We got youth pastors. We got kids church teachers. We have a painter. <laughs> it just doesn't seem like it fits in the process of those who serve. But for God, it was extremely important because he was using his talent to serve the Lord for that. And that's our next line right here. Bezalel used his talents to bring others to God. Bezalel used his talents to bring others to God. He was given a gift by God and would use it to create items that would inspire people to turn their eyes towards heaven. There are many ways that we can use our talents to further God's word, but that can only happen if you recognize them and use them to their fullest ability. Well, I don't, I, I'd like to paint, but I don't really paint any religious pictures or I don't really paint any pictures of the, that's okay. Can you paint a beautiful picture that you can take to somebody who's in hospice care? That you can stick next to their bed? God-given talent used for good to inspire. Can you do some amazing thing with wood? Build a chair for somebody who might be going through cancer treatment for them to sit in and rest when they get home? God-given talent used to glorify him through others. Can I recognize somebody's house that's falling apart? I know how to put up a joist and a beam and everything. I can do all that. Obviously, I don't know, too, because you guys know how to do it. Like, that's ridiculous, right? But, you know, there's parts of the house that you can work on and improve and help using your craftsmanship, your artistry, your God-given talent to help others. That is what God is saying. You may see it as a pebble, but it becomes a boulder when you put it into practice. Don't neglect the gift that is in you, Timothy. Paul told Timothy that when he had the, the spirit put upon him when laying on hands. You have abilities now. Do not neglect it. It's the same thing for us. Don't neglect what God gave us to help other people in their lives. All right, number three. I did not know what to call this young man. So his name is the fish and bread boy. It's <laughs> the best that I can put it. The fish and the bread boy, John 6. 1 through 15. And you guys know this story very, very well, but we're going to read through it and kind of pull a couple points from this. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is in the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that, was do, um, that he was doing on the sick. So Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now, I'm trying to think of this. Jesus has been working hard. He goes up with his disciples. He sits on the mountain. He's like, hey, guys, let's relax. This is good. Let's take some time to, to talk together. But that also happens to be the time of the Passover feast for the Jews. And it was at hand. And lifting up his eyes, he started seeing a large crowd that was coming towards him. Large crowd is an understatement. We're talking about numbers. 5,000 people walking towards him. Imagine that. You go to get some little R&R, &R, some time with your disciples, and you see 5,000 people walking towards you. And so what does Jesus say to Philip? Where are we going to buy some bread so that these people may eat? Jesus is asking a rhetorical question here. He obviously knows what it is. And he says in verse 6, he said this to test him, for he himself knew that, uh, what he would do. So how are we going to feed all these people? So Philip answered to him, well, we're going to have to have 200 denarii worth of bread. And even that would not be enough for each of them to get a little. So one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here, and he has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Fish and bread boy. Holding his lunch. Five barley loaves, two fish. Now, I'm sure that that was not just the food for him, but for his family, unless he really likes bread a lot. He's got five loaves of it. But it's probably enough to feed his whole family. 
and the little boy is taking his responsibility of carrying it, and he has it. But when he does have that, and they recognize he has a little, he gives it to them. And what happens? So Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. And Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. Um, and then, uh, uh, let me see here, they ate as much fish as they wanted. And then we know what happened subsequently after the scripture, there was so much left over that they filled multiple baskets with the food and bread. So this may be the most insignificant mention in the Bible of a pebble doing good. In the Bible, this boy sharing his lunch is unselfish. But in doing so, that little pebble fed 5,000 people because it was used through Christ. Just a cup of cold water in my name given may some hope and a heart renew. A cup of cold water giving up your lunch to someone else. If it's done through Christ, it becomes a boulder. Your pebble becomes a boulder. The boy used, next line in your notes, the boy used his generosity to affect the lives of many. Just like the widow with two mites, it does not take much to create a huge impact on the world if it's done through Christ. And I want to say that again, if it's done through Christ. It should never be a look at me, look what I've done. Because if you do that, it shrinks from a pebble to a grain of sand. It becomes insignificant because the glory is taken off the one who provides it for you. It must be done through Christ. But you may argue that you have nothing to give of value. Boy gave his lunch. But the single most important thing that anyone can ever give, and I, I really want to establish this point of anything today, the single most important thing, the single most valuable thing that anybody can ever give is time because it is the only thing that is non-replenishable. If I was a rich man and I gave a poor man $100,000, that's a lot of money. If I work hard, I might get three, four, five hundred thousand back through that. It can be replenishable. I can give my food away to somebody who really needs it. That's great, absolutely. And then I can go to the store and buy more. That's replenishable. But the time I give to somebody is the sacrifice that can never be given back because it's gone. Our time is gone. So if you choose to give that, you are giving one of the greatest gifts that you can. Not pebble becomes a boulder for that. All right, so we're going to look at our next one here. Now, I've read through numbers many times. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of you have here. But we're going to talk about the daughters of Zelophead today. You remember them? The daughters of Zelophead? So what happened is basically while they're in the wilderness, Moses and the, the priest Eleazar, they're told by God, I want you to create a census. Find men who are over the age of the 20 to come. Start to form yourself an army together. So we're going to do the census that comes. And in the process, in chapter 27, Moses and Eleazar are approached by the daughters of Zelophead. So we're going to go into the scripture here. This is in Numbers 27, verse 1 through 8. The daughters of Zelophad, or Zelophead, however you want to say it, son of Hefer, son of Gilead, son of Macher, son of Manasseh, belong to the clans of Manasseh and son of the son of Joseph. Here we go. Now the names of the daughters were Mala, it's a pretty name, Noah, we know Noah, and Hogla. <laughs> so, now, Hagla, I hope she was either pretty on the inside or the outside, because she definitely got the brunt of the names here. And then there's Milcah and Tirzah. And they came forward and stood before Moses. And Eleazar the priest, the leaders in the whole assembly. And at the entrance of the tent meeting, they said, Our father has died in the wilderness. He was among Korah's followers who, um, he was not, excuse me, not among Korah's followers, who banded together against the Lord. But he died for his own sin, and he had no sons. Why should our father's name disappear from his clan because he has no sons? Give us property among our father's relatives. So Moses is like, uh, 
I need to take this to a higher court than just myself and Eliezer. So in verse 5, Moses brought their case to the Lord. And the Lord said to him, What Zelophead's daughters are saying is right. You must certainly give them their property as an inheritance among their father's relatives and give their father's inheritance to them. And say to the Israelites, If a man dies and leaves no son, give his inheritance to his daughter. Next line on your notes. These five women who uh, most believers could not even name used their courage to bring about the change that would affect generations to come. So think about the setting of this. You're at a time in history where women are second-class citizens, and there is no other way to say that. They are. Little is taken in on how they think. Little is taken in on their ideas for plans for the future. They're in a place where they're second-class citizens. These five girls say, we speak up for ourselves. And I don't think they marched into that tent and said, Moses, Eliezer, you give us what we want right now. No. Very humbly, they came in and said, our fathers died. He had no sons. Everything that we can use to take care of ourselves and our family is going to his other family members. We feel like his name should continue on through us just because he didn't have sons. And what does Moses say? Nope, absolutely not. You are a woman. I don't want to hear it. Nope. Moses' heart is touched. And he goes to God and says, is this right? And God says, yeah. Yeah, it is. It should be fair for them to have that. In fact, going on, we're going to change the law. Going on from now on, if a man dies and doesn't have sons, it goes to his daughters. The courage of these five women to stand up for themselves and to say, I see something that's not right and I want it changed, took their little pebble, which let's be honest, is how they were probably considered at that time, and made a bolder impact on Israel for years to come. For years to come with that. We can use our courage to stand up for people who have no voice. And we just talked about that. We stand up to someone who's being attacked for what they believe. We have to have the courage to change lives for the better. To be that person that says, I'm going to be the one to take this on. I'm going to tell you a story today. Now, I'm going to try to get through without getting emotional because I'm a teacher and I've told this to other teachers and it always ends the same way. <laughs> so, true story. Miss Nielsen was a fourth grade teacher. Every year she'd have a new class come in. She'd say the same thing to her class every year. Welcome, everybody. I love you all equally. We're going to have a great school year. And she would start. Except this time, Miss Nielsen knew that she wasn't quite telling the truth. Because in the back, there was a boy. All right, his name was Teddy. Teddy was disgusting. <laughs> Teddy came to school sometimes wearing the same clothes two or three days in a row. His hair was always matted. He never brought materials. He smelled. It was kind of an inconvenience to have in her class. And she felt that in her heart. Fighting it or not, she felt it. She knew his home life wasn't great. She didn't pry into things, but she knew his dad was never really returning any of her calls or questions she had for him. And she found herself kind of writing Teddy off. Now, we're going to use Teddy Smith as his nom de plume for the day because his name intentionally wasn't included into this story because of privacy reasons when it was written. But Teddy was gross. And so as the year went on, he struggled. She saw him struggling in there. And again, she kind of felt herself kind of writing him off. As long as the rest of the class is surviving, of course I'm going to lose somebody in the group. It's just numbers. And then Christmas came. Everybody brought Miss Nielsen these beautiful presents wrapped in bows and shiny paper and put it on her desk. Teddy got up from the back of the room, pulled out a brown lunch bag that he had taped over, and walked over and put it on her desk. So she went through all the beautiful presents that she had, and she got to Teddy's, and she opened it up. And it was a rhinestone bracelet that was missing a lot of rhinestones and a half bottle of perfume. And so trying to be as polite as she could possibly be, Miss Nielsen opened up the perfume and put a little bit of it on her wrist and a little on her neck. And she said, oh, oh, Teddy, it smells beautiful. Thank you so much for thinking about me. And a big smile on his face. And Teddy walked back to the back of the classroom. And he sat down. So 
as the day went on and they got to the end, the kids got up from their desk and they left and Teddy being in the back was the last one to leave and he came over and he said, Miss Nielsen, I'm so glad you liked my gift. This was my best day this year because when my mom died, I never thought I would smell her perfume again. And he goes, and you smelled like her all day. So, true story, Teddy left the room, Miss Nielsen dropped to her knees and sobbed. She said she cried uncontrollably. How could I think of this person as a lesser person when he gave more to me than anybody else in this classroom? And I'm giving him nothing back. So Miss Nielsen, talk about a change of heart. Talk about a pebble into a boulder. That day made it her job to make sure Teddy succeeded. He got extra help, he got extra work, she dealt with him every day, she got services brought into his home, she got him clothes, she got him food, and she became his champion through every single grade going forth from that school. So she kept in contact with Teddy. And then he wrote her a letter and said, Miss Nielsen, I'm so excited today, I graduate from high school. Miss Nielsen, big smile on her face. Thank you so much for what you've done for me. Sure, Teddy, it's my pleasure. And she kept in touch with him. Years went by. He sent her another letter. Ms. Nielsen, it was the hardest thing I've ever done, but I graduated college today. Thank you for taking me on. Ms. Nielsen's choice to be a champion for this person, to stand up for a cause, to be his protector. But it doesn't stop there. Ms. Nielsen kind of just said, hey, he's reached the pinnacle. He's a college graduate. He's going to go out and do great things. But then she got a letter years later. She kept in contact, but a letter years later. And said, Miss Nielsen, I'm so excited because I'm getting married. I found the woman of my dreams, and I want you to come to the wedding, and I want you to sit in the seat that would have been my mom's. But the most amazing thing in that letter for Teddy was he said, I finally get to sign it with my full credentials, Teddy Smith, M.D. This nothing, dirty, disregarded, disgusting child is now a doctor saving lives. Because of one person, Ms. Nielsen, I'm gonna be that kid's champion. I'm gonna stand up when I see things going wrong. I'm gonna make a word, I'm gonna change. And that ripple effect, her pebble that she threw became a boulder that affected person after person after person as a medical doctor saving lives because she stood up and she used this. Just like those daughters stood up and said, we don't think it's right that we're treated this way. We think we deserve our father's inheritance. And God said, you're right. You used your voice and I'm gonna make it a law going forward now. Your pebble's a boulder. Let's move on to our next one here. The people who rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem now again, we don't probably think about these people a lot. We think about our heroes of the Bible, Hebrews 11, all the apostles, the people who did great things. But what about the people who helped build the wall in Jerusalem, the rebuild of that? So when Nehemiah saw the terrible state of the wall around Jerusalem, he immediately set to rebuild it. He was mocked and threatened by his detractors, and threats were made to attack the city before the wall was rebuilt. So Nehemiah's names many of those uh, in the book who contributed, naming everyone from families that contributed to priests who lent a hand in the construction. And when the city was threatened by attackers, Nehemiah used half of the workers to stand outside the wall with spears. That was their job. Everybody's trying to patch this wall and create a, a fortified city again. And people are like, ah, you keep building that, we're going to come attack you, we're going to raid you. And so he had half of his workers, which cut the workload in half, for them, or half the workers at least, they stood out in the wall in a circular pattern with spears and shields. Bring it on. These guys are gonna work behind us and we're gonna protect things. And those workers worked hard. There was just rubble and rocks that they're trying to use to repair the wall, to repair the gaps that are in that. And in only 52 days, I want you to think about that. Only 52 days, less than two months, they repaired the entire wall with the backing of God behind them. The next line in your notes, the people of Jerusalem used their numbers to create an impact. They used their numbers. 
When threatened, they stood together and they relied on the protection of God and the strength given to them to accomplish a goal and impact an entire city. If I throw a pebble at you, it's probably going to hurt. Don't worry, Christian. <laughs> In my line, I'll hang on to it. But if I were to throw a pebble at Christian, it's going to hurt. All right? But, you know, unless it's Nolan Ryan throwing it, it's not going to kill him. Okay? That's a baseball player that threw really hard. Um, it's not going to hurt him. You know, it's just, you threw a pebble at me. What's going on? Dude, stop doing that. But if I throw a handful of pebbles at Christian, there's a whole lot more damage. What if I throw two handfuls? What if I have eight other people next to me throwing handfuls? That becomes a stoning. We're not going to do that. But there is strength in numbers. God has always shown us that. There is strength in numbers. When the city was being built, you had two responsibilities. You were either building or you were protecting. It's the same for us. It's the same for us here. If I can't go in and do the work of, of the preaching and the worship team and all of that, I can make sure that I'm standing on the outside giving truth to everybody who comes against us. I can make sure that I'm going out there with my spear and my shield of God and making sure that nobody comes against us here and also making sure that I go out and teach others to grow the army. And if I can't do that, if I lack the ability of that, then I can sure be inside doing the work because there's not a single thing done in the house of God that's insignificant. Not a single thing. We can use our pebbles together to make sure that we're doing the right thing for God. So, again, being a teacher, you guys, it's a pop quiz time. <laughs> I promise you this will be the easiest quiz you will ever have in your life. First question, you can write this down. Who has had a positive impact on you this week? You can write it in the answer. You can write the question if you want or just write the answer. That's okay. Who has had a positive impact on you this week? Who has taken their pebble and used it for you this week? All right. Question number two, very simple. Who did you positively impact this week? Who did you use your pebble on for good? No one's going to see these answers, so you don't need to cover them up. <laughs> so you're not cheating. It's just for you, just for you. Question number three now. Let's take our pebble back for a second. Who has had a negative impact on you this week? And it could be a who, what, when, or where has had a negative impact on you this week. Ah, and then question four. Who did you have a negative impact on this week? And if it's no one, God bless you, leave it blank. But if you search your heart and you find that there's something you could have done, could have said, or maybe did say and did that was negative, who did you have a negative impact on? I want you really quickly to consider the story. There was an organizational leader. It was a very uh, uh, money-gaining company. It was, he was a CEO. It, it had so much profit, but he wanted more. There was goals that he wanted to reach, goals he wanted to achieve. So he would call these meetings of all of his employees and his workers, and then what would happen is halfway through the meeting when he's talking about, guys, we can reach this goal. We can take the company to the top. We can do this. Half his employees were sleeping. Or half of them were talking to each other and nobody cared. So he went back to the drawing board. Again, true story. Went back to the drawing board and said, what am I doing wrong? These people aren't buying into this company. We have this, this ability to change the, the landscape of what we're doing right now. And nobody cares. So it hit him. What do people care about? So the very next meeting, he came back and he said, we're not talking about goals. I don't care about the goals this month. To hear somebody who's in charge of a company say, I don't care about goals this month, that is impactful. And he said, I just want to know, who made you happy this week? And they're all looking at each other, kind of thinking. And he's like, you know, who did you make happy this week? And you can kind of see them, you know, scratching their chins and trying to think and ponder. And he said, who made an impact on you this week? 
and who did you make an impact on? And after the meeting was done, he talked to several of them, and they, they all gave him the same answers. Well, so-and-so impacted me this week, and so-and-so impacted me this week. And he realized that people only cared about what other people did. They never gave themselves credit for impacting others. And he said, well, how did you impact people this week? Well, I mean, I brought him his reports. Okay, good. That was something he didn't have to do, that he jumped in. And he'd started doing this every month and every month and every month. And you know what happened? People started intentionally looking for opportunities to impact other people's lives. They intentionally looked for opportunities to use their pebbles to make other people's lives better. And you know what happened? They hit every stinking goal that he wanted for his company. Because they were running at such a high level because they cared about each other that they were doing it. And he's blown away at this process. So now he talks to people about this. Stop talking about goals, start talking about impact. How are we taking care of each other? How are we taking care of our customers? How are we taking care of people in the church for us? How are we taking care of people outside of the church that we want to bring into the fold? How are we impacting them? By doing one thing at least every day. That's the pop quiz. What are you doing to impact people today? If you're not doing something, then you're either not giving yourself credit or you're not looking for the opportunity to do it. And it goes the other way. When somebody impacts you, tell them. Appreciate it. Let them know you did good in my life today. I'm a better person because you cared about me. That is using your pebble as the size of a boulder. Things that impact you may seem so simple, but when joined with the efforts of others, they become life-changing for the people you impact and for yourself, and that's the work of God. I want to leave you with a really bad illustration this morning. Not the illustration's bad, the craftsmanship's bad. I'm no Belzil, so I'm not the artist that he was, but I want to draw a pebble here for you. It's very small. I'm just going to take my marker, going to Mr. Rogers this, and do a pebble for you, okay? This is how we see ourselves. Be honest. Sometimes you might see yourself with a larger pebble, or maybe a smaller one, but this is how we see ourselves in the grand scheme of things. In geology, there is no pebble that turns into a boulder. It doesn't exist, it's not a thing. Pebbles are eroded away from larger rocks. But there is one exception. Next to oceans, lakes, and streams, when the pebbles funnel down, they mix with soot and mud and water and ash, and it becomes an adhesive. And they turn into a boulder. There's a name for it. It's called a conglomerate. We know what that word is. We think about that in business. Lots of little business puts together to make a big one. Well, in geology, that is a bunch of pebbles that are put together to make a boulder. So you ready for this illustration? <laughs> when we start putting more pebbles together, and more pebbles together, and more pebbles together, we create a conglomerate. Here you are in the middle. Important. It's not as big without you. It's not as, it's not as powerful without you. It's not as impactful without you. But a boulder can change things. If I throw a pebble at a building, it will not even make a dent. If I throw a boulder, it can change the structural foundation of the thing that it hits. That's what we're trying to do, right? As Christians, change the foundation of society. Change the foundation of the people we love. Change the foundations of our heart through all that. And that's done with the impact, the size of a pebble. Grow your pebble into a boulder every day. And you'll be amazed at the change you can make. Thank you all.